Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Village Global's Venture Stories. I'm here today joined by two returning guests, Nadia Ekbal of Substack and Lenny Ruchitsky. Lenny and Nadia, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having Thanks us. For having, Thanks for having us back. Awesome. So we're here today to talk about uh, newsletters, to talk about writing, uh, and to talk about uh, how those ha- have evolved. We've uh, just launched the On Deck Writer Fellowship in a partnership with, with Substack, and uh, this will be a very timely uh, episode. So, so Nadia, let, let's uh, let's start with you. you. You've been writing about sort of the rise of of creators way before it was cool, like in 2014, 2015, a, a time period. What sort of what was the trend that you were following that inspired you to join Substack? Well, yeah. So as mentioned, I've been writing about creators for a while. I'm going to quote you on that in the future. And yeah, just the experience of being a writer myself, um, I in particular just like had a specific topic that I've been really crazy about for the last five years, um, writing about open source developers and uh, just had the experience of like being a writer who really wanted to write about this topic and like didn't have a clear path forward to doing that. If you want to be a writer, people will say, you know, you can become like a journalist or you can become a freelance writer, but like you kind of just have to cobble together your own way. Um, and so one of the things that I did in addition to writing a blog was writing a newsletter that I started literally with the first blog post that I ever published about open source. Um, and just like seeing the experience for me um, over the last whatever thing I had for like four years or so, um, and just like my relationship to newsletters had evolved and changed. Um, initially, when I started it, Substack hadn't even existed. And I'd really treated the newsletter as a mailing list to you know send out any new blog post that I had, um, just to say like, you know, new post up, like publish, click on this link. And then over time, I started just like something, I guess, like in myself and this experience of being like, oh, I have a list that is like the same list that I email every time. They're here to follow my journey. That's why they signed up. Um, I can kind of just like, I'm holding this mic and now I can start like talking into it, right? I can kind of say whatever I want. And so I think I discovered in the same way that a lot of people discovered uh, that newsletters can be this really great uh, medium for expressing yourself creatively and having a little bit more of that like specific audience that you keep talking to the same time every time, which is really different from a blog post because I publish a blog post and like hopefully the people that follow me read it, but I never really know who's reading it at any given time. Um, And so, yeah, I think like part of why I joined Substack was just having that experience myself as a newsletter writer. Um, I moved my newsletter over to Substack and really enjoyed it and just felt like, okay, like newsletters are going to be a thing. I feel like I'm seeing more and more people that are like slowly coming to the same sort of realization that I am. Um, and I really want to help shepherd that forward. Um, and so that's how I ended up at Substack. And, and before we get into Lenny's journey, talk a bit more about the trend that, that enabled this. Because, you know, Ben Thompson was sort of the, the OG, you know, just a few years ago, sort of, you know, creating a, a, a career off of his, you know, in, in independent writing. And there was this idea, he wanted a lot more people to, to do it. But there was the idea that that's good for Ben, but not everyone can do it. And maybe, you know, Lenny wouldn't be doing this in 2015 or 2016. What sort of change that enabled so many more people to do this and, and really make a career out of it that was different than in 2016 or something? I would point to probably just like the maturation of various social platforms where like in 
you know, late stage social media or something like that, where you've <laughs> had um, Twitter has been around for a while, Instagram has been around for a while. LinkedIn is finding its experience as uh, it, its footing as this uh, like social social media platform, um, and so you have people that are starting to like find a way to build their own audiences on these very public social platforms. And you kind of have like all these people with like just, you know, honing in on Twitter for a moment with these growing Twitter followings. And like, they're kind of just like sitting on this pile of gold. And I, I think kind of like looking like, you know, where else do I put this capital essentially? And uh, there are some things that Twitter is really, really great for in terms of just being able to, you know, reach new people. The distribution benefits are, are definitely really broad and, and just, yeah, I mean, some people really enjoy Twitter as its own creative medium, but I think there's also this desire for just coinciding with a lot of different things that are happening on the social web right now, this desire to be able to kind of like just talk to your own audience sometimes. And sometimes you're not actually trying to reach every single person out there. You have uh, maybe more like unfiltered thoughts or half-formed kind of thoughts that you want to share with an audience that is like actually following you over time. Um, and that's something that newsletters can afford in a way that Twitter, for example, can't exactly do. And when did we realize that people would pay for it? I mean, it feels kind of like like a one plus one equals two kind of thing at some point. Um, I mean, definitely, it, I still feel like we're that's a new thing for a lot of people to experience right now. Um, and when I joined this past November, I still felt like I heard from a lot of people the the Ben Thompson critique, as I call it, of like how many Ben Thompsons are there really out there. Um, whereas my experience is, at least right now, I'm not hearing that as much um, from people when I tell them that I work at Substack or what Substack is all about. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's people starting to gradually put together pieces of, okay, like I have this one part of my media empire arm, which is like my, you know, social media kind of presence where I can like bring in new people. And then there's like the second part of the funnel where I have a newsletter and that's like a, a thing that people can subscribe to and regularly receive updates or emails or um, thoughts and ideas from me. And then like kind of the next step being like, okay, like if that is my more dedicated fan base, some percentage of those people are likely to be able to, um, to, to pay for what I have to offer and, and seeing more and more examples of that people like Lenny who are um, doing it really well. Um, I think it's just like inspired more people to kind of like take that leap. Totally. I have a question for you, Nadia. Uh, yeah. wasn't, wasn't Substack kind of built around this one writer, I think Bill Bishop. Yes. Or kind of just like built it for him. Yeah. My initial understanding of Substack in the very early days was they were really just focused on like the subscription business aspect. And yeah, I mean, they basically figured they would like try it once with with Bill Bishop um, and he made six figures literally overnight um, and is now still one of our, our top publishers on Substack. And, and they were kind of like, oh, cool. All right. It works for someone besides Ben Thompson. Like, let's go find all the other people out there. Yeah. yeah so it feels like that's that's kind of an answer to your question a bit is like there's one guy that I was working for and then there's another guy that I was working for. And so let's just see how many more people we can work yeah, out. Yeah, that's a really nice way to think about it. The question used to be, you know, how many Ben Thompsons are there? Now it's how many Lenny Richiskis are there, which just shows oh how how much the bar has gotten lower. And <laughs> hello, Lenny. This <laughs> and is, now we've this democratized. Is, this is actually true. <laughs> no, 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 uh, Lenny, uh, you've done phenomenally well on Substack. Why don't you just talk through your your, your journey because you didn't necessarily see yourself, you know, having this uh, having this great success. Why don't you walk through how it happened? Yeah, is uh, I never in my wildest dreams imagined that I would be making a living writing. I was an engineer and then a product manager my whole life. And unlike Nadia's path where she was a writer, I had never really written much of anything publicly before. And I, I feel like if you were to go into like the Substack archives and look at maybe like a sketch they probably made at some point of the user journey, of their ideal user journey of somebody kind of getting started to where I am now, I feel like I like I fit that perfectly. 
And so this, the journey I went on, I left Airbnb. I was there for seven years. I was going to start a company. I had a bunch of ideas. I was exploring a bunch of ideas. And I was just starting to think, what did I actually learn during my journey at Airbnb over these years so that I don't have to relearn it again when I start a company? And so I took some notes down in like an Evernote, had some bullet points. It started feeling really interesting. And so very cliche I I decided to turn it into a Medium post. The Medium post did extremely well. I think it's like in the top, I don't know, 300 most clapped posts, which I did not expect. But it gave me a lot of confidence to keep going. So I wrote a few more Medium posts. I think I got up to six. And, and then some smart people told me that I should switch to Substack off of Medium so that I could start building my own email address database. I could email people like Nadia said, instead of just kind of put it up on the internet and and to collect kind of like the SEO long-term benefits. So created a Substack with no no plan at all. I I had no name for it or concept for it. So I just called it Lenny's newsletter because I had no idea what I was going to do with it and started just kind of copy and pasting all my medium stuff there. Then started posting new things there, just kind of ad hoc. Then transitioned to, hey, what if I could just do this weekly? Let's see what happens. So I tweeted that, hey, I'm going to do this experiment. I'm going to send a newsletter every week. I don't know what it's going to be, but you should subscribe. And then I morphed it into a advice column format. I was inspired by uh, Julie Zhu, who's this Facebook designer who had a newsletter where she gave advice around design. And so I kind of took that idea and brought it to product and, and growth. And so started doing that. That started going really well. Then nine months later, so I did it every week for nine months. Then COVID hit. And it was about a year after I left Airbnb. So I had no job. The market collapsed. And I'm like, hey, I need to make some income again. And so I kind of decided to take it, to, to give it a try, to go to paid and see what happens. And so I launched paid in April. And now I'm at like a six-figure income where it drives my entire living and is growing fast. And what do you, besides the writing being good, like what do you attribute to your your success or what's generalizable for, for other, is it the su- subject matter? Is it the relationship you have with your audience? Like what, what sort of generalizable lessons for people who want to do the same thing? I think at the core of it is, is just provide value for people consistently. And that's kind of a vague thing, but, but if you're creating value for somebody and I can talk about what I, the value I think I'm creating, they're going to follow you. They're going to subscribe to you. They're going to pay for you, especially if it's kind of in the professional setting. And so the way I think about it is there's kind of five jobs to be done in newslettering. And I don't know if this is completely right, but it's the way I think about it. It's either entertain me, make me money, make me smarter, keep me informed, or help me feel like I'm part of something bigger. And so my feeling is if you can do a really good job and create value in each of the one of those five buckets, people are going to want to subscribe. And so for me, I found that there's just like, there's a lot of content out there around product and growth. But it's, there's nothing like that good that's consistent, if you really think about it. There's like a lot of people writing a lot of things, but I think in reality, people don't actually have a lot, a lot of time to write and do research and really go deep. And I think that's the key. And the only reason I'm able to do this is I, I took time off and I had time to write. And so if you have time and you put in the, and you put in the time into writing, I think you'll lead, it'll lead to really high quality stuff that people end up valuing. So, so part of it is just finding the time. Yeah, I mean, the level of sort of like research and depth that you can go into with your posts is enormous, I guess, because you have the, the time to do it. Do you feel like you could have done it um, or can someone do it if they're doing it kind of part time at, uh, at a job of doing? And yeah, is it, is it does it require this like full time focus? I think it does. And I think it's because 
one time and then two just like brain energy i can't imagine having being able to do any of this if i was still at a full-time job at a you know fast-growing startup especially and so yeah i think it's really hard and i think that's why you don't see as much amazingly high quality content out there because most people have a day job and they don't have time to put it to put in the time and maybe that's why there's like a lot of vc content because they do have time true yeah it's just like interesting for your your particular like domain that um there are so many people that will like casually write about it but like the level of quality you can get when someone gets it's, it's almost like you could say well you know everyone just kind of does this part-time like why do you why do you do it full-time but i do feel like the level of quality that you get from like something like your newsletter is just like so different because of that extra extra focus exactly yeah i think that's really important lenny talked about a few jobs to be done how do you at substack sort of think about the different archetypes of writers or the different types of writers that do well or just break up sort of the, the the world a little bit in terms of the different types of archetypes or do you even look at it that way? Yeah, we do. I think in terms of just sort of, we have a more like functional approach to it right now. Just, I don't know, uh, the way just how things are moving. Um, so we talk about things a lot in, in terms of just like categories or verticals of like business versus personal is a really big differentiator for, um, especially if you're like charging, like, is someone going to be paying for this because they just kind of want to like hear your thoughts and feelings on a topic or are they paying for it because they can like justify it as a business expense or it's something work related um, that really changes the price you can charge. Um, so that's kind of like a, a big differentiator for us. And then, um, and then just think about the different categories. So they're just sort of like clusters of different kinds of writers. Um, we have a lot of like food writers or people that write about faith and religion, um, people who write about business or finance. And so we just sort of think about like, how do we help those people know that the other people exist and that we can sort of like point to those kinds of examples. But that's sort of different from what Lenny's getting to in terms of just sort of like, what is my intent as a, as a reader? What, like, why do I subscribe to something? And I think we haven't put as much thought into it, but intuitively, I think like we all probably have some sort of like opinion on that. And um, it, it definitely resonates a lot with the the list that, that Lenny identified. Totally. And just go deeper there for a second, because a lot of you know writers are out there thinking, what niche should they occupy and uh, of the skills or interests that they have? Are there a certain, like what, what have you learned or what has surprised you about what tends to do well or, or what doesn't do as well as you, as you might've thought or any advice for people looking to sort of pick a, pick a specific niche? Yeah. I mean, I do think it helps to be, if you're going to charge uh, for your newsletter, it helps to have your niche kind of like carved out and identified as much as possible. Like I write a newsletter that's a monthly newsletter, but it's mostly kind of like, my thoughts and essays every month. And I don't really want it to be more structured than that. But I think even though I have like a good sized um, newsletter subscriber list, it's that like numbers aren't everything. I think like if I had to analyze myself, like like the way I'm doing it right now as a monthly thing and as more of like my personal journal, essentially, I don't think it's something that like, I'm not really thinking about as a product. Um, but if you are trying to charge for your newsletter, um, really positioning yourself as like, and honestly, like I think as, as concrete as you can get helps people really like identify in their mind, like why they're paying for you. And uh, so, I mean, yeah, I think like that, that is just like really, really important. Um, it's there, there are, I guess maybe like, sometimes we use the word like newsletter and sometimes we use the term publication and they're not exactly interchangeable in my mind. Like sometimes when I think about newsletters, I think more about like people that are starting Substacks just to have a place to like talk about their stuff. But then if you're kind of like writing a publication, like focusing on that specific um, niche or value that you're offering is, is really helpful. Nadi, what, what do you think is the future of sort of bundling uh, newsletter pu pu publications? And um, like Lenny, have you considered doing that with, with other people or what are sort of the trade-offs there or how should, how should people be thinking about that? 
Yeah, no, it's a really interesting topic. Uh, there's a few different ways that people ask us about bundles right now. So one is like, I'm sending out um, emails to my subscriber base. I'm like, you know, I am a single writer writing on my own, but I've noticed that my writers want to have different kinds of offerings. Like I would be, I would love to be able to do like an advice column or like, um, like a, a weekly Q and a with a spotlighted, you know, interview guest or whatever. And I just like have these different products that I want to start breaking up my writing into. So it's like, I have this like abundance of, of writing and I want to start organizing a little bit more. Um, that's sort of like one thing we hear about and the other being a little bit more like I'm a writer and I know a bunch of other writers and we all kind of want to band together somehow, which is what um, Nathan is and uh, Dan Shipper are doing with um, the Everything Bundle. And, and they've been really good about just to like bring people together in that way. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's sort of like one is about managing the like volume of writing that you, you could be putting out as an individual or as a group of writers. Um, and then the other is sort of about like, I want to collaborate with other people. I think both those things are really important and there's something that we're very actively thinking about right now. Yeah. The way I've been thinking about it is like as the newsletter has done better and better, there's been more and more things that that I'm like pulled into and I try really hard to keep it simple and not commit to more things than I that I that I want to. So like there's like, hey, I could do a podcast, I could do a book, I could join this thing, I could join a bundle. Uh, and I'm trying really hard to just stay focused on creating a really high quality newsletter because that alone is really hard. So I'm just trying to say no to everything that's trying to pull me away into other things, including joining a bundle. I also feel like people don't want more email necessarily. And so just being like one part of like a mini email group, I don't know if that helps. And I think also the economics change. And so so I think in my case, since it's going well, I don't have any reason to consider something else. But I think it makes a lot of sense for people starting out and and there's a lot of good a lot of benefits to it for readers especially because it's it's a much better deal. Do you ever do guest posts in other people's publications? Yeah, that was actually um, a big way that I started the newsletters. I did a couple guest posts, one with Andrew Chen's blog and then one on First Round. And that kind of helped jumpstart the newsletter. Now now I find I uh, people want to do guest posts in my newsletter. And I love that because one, it, it's less work for me in a week where I can kind of think ahead to the next week more quickly. And, and it gives a platform for new people to kind of build their own audience. Uh, so I do it less so recently. Cool. So I want to get into sort of different elements of sort of the, the, the craft itself. Um, Lenny, I'll start by asking you, uh, Nadi, feel free to jump in either with your own point of view or an additional question. And Brett, my producer, will take out just that last part of what I just said. Lenny, how do you think about the ideation process in terms of what to post? So I have this cheat code, which is my newsletter is an advice column, which means people send me questions. And so I have a long list, I think like 50 questions at this point, kind of in a backlog. So that's that's the main source. Then there's, so I also advise companies in, in Angel Invest, and that drives a lot of other questions that startups run, you know, send me. So that's two. And then, and then just like things I'm interested in that I want to learn about. And the newsletter is a really good excuse to go spend time on it. So that's kind of the, the source. And then what I do is I create a big list of all the questions and topics I want to cover at some point in a big coded doc. And then I kind of sort it based on what I'm interested in and things that are timely. And then I slowly kind of um, morph it into a content calendar where I kind of figure out for the next couple months, here's what I'm going to try to get out. And I adjust it based on interest and, and blockers and things like that. And, and the way I approach the content is I just kind of like start with high level, here's the question, and I throw in some quick thoughts, some links, things that are going to help me think it through. And, and then I come back to it and flush it out further, then put it into its own page and flush that out. 
then move it into Substack, sometimes run it past some people to get feedback and, and then ship it. Do you ever have a topic and you're like, ah, this is too niche. Not enough people care about it. Yeah. I, one thing that I worry about because my, my, like my topic is very broad and I think it's normally a bad idea to do this, but it, it works in this case for some reason where I, I do growth things and then product things and then management stuff in org. And it's like a lot of areas. And so what I find is some people join me just for the growth stuff. Some people join just for the product stuff and then a group for other things. And so one thing I have to do is intermix content across those different topics so that there's not just like growth, 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 and all the product managers leave. So that's one thing I have to think about. Uh, in terms of Tunis, yeah, I, I think about like, is this going to be useful to people? I don't answer every question that I get sent, partly for that reason. And so, yeah, so I try to be thoughtful about what people are going to find valuable. But I also have learned that it's really important to stay close to what am I actually interested in and curious about, because then the content ends up being a lot better. So I, I tried not to get too far into what do people need from me and stay close to what I what do I find interesting. Totally. And a lot of people will start, you know, they'll start one, you know, blog post or, or two newsletters, and then they'll sort of, you know, just won't won't keep going. How, how do have you kept yourself accountable, or how do you think about sort of cadence and um, and what advice do you have have there? There's nothing like going paid and people paying you money <laughs> for a weekly email <laughs> forever, in theory. So. So it feels like there's this boulder always chasing me where there's the next week's post, no matter how awesome this week's post is, there's always the next week post. I have to get ready. So, so that creates a lot of, a lot of motivation. That's, that's one. Two is, uh, I have this content calendar that helps a lot where I just kind of have to, I think through the future and it's not like, so I ship on Tuesdays. It's not like Wednesdays. Oh man, what the hell am I going to do next week? I always have a pretty good sense. I also leave all my mornings free every day. That's kind of like a new routine I've created where it's just for writing. And then I just get more and more stressed if my post isn't coming along fast enough by, by the time Tuesday's coming around. <laughs> but really, it's the, it's the uh, people are paying me for content that I have to deliver. It's a good motivator. Yeah, it's a public uh, accountability. For like a couple of years, I'd wanted to start a newsletter and I just sort of never, a regular writing practice, never got around to it. And then a month ago, I just said, hey, I'm going to do it weekly. And now I just have to do it weekly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that worked for me too. It's just like tweeting. This is going to be a weekly newsletter. We'll see what happens. The other thing I find is just like, if you stay close to things you're curious about, you're innately interested in exploring and writing about it. So so that's, again, really important to build that cadence is just like write about things you want to learn about because it'll push you to keep doing it. So you, you mentioned that you had no background as a writer how did how did you improve as a writer or for people who are sort of like fairly new to, to to writing itself but you know have a lot of experience have a lot of ideas lessons how, how have you sort of accelerated your your growth as a as oh a man this is writer? the main thing i'm working on as a human being right now is to get a become a better writer so i have i have this book on writing well that's always sitting by my side that i check uh regularly to kind of remind myself of best practices one, uh, so that's one. I'm, I'm just like reading books about writing. Two is I have a friend that assigns me homework of books to read that are well-written to help me see better writing. I've, I've also been reading a lot of Malcolm Gladwell. I feel like he's a good uh, example of kind of the kind of writing I want to do where it's nonfiction, but really compelling. So so reading good stuff. I joined the writing group uh, before this on-deck fellowship launched called Compound that just recently. So that's been helpful. There's also this type house group that I'm in that people help each other with posts. But I think at the end of it, it's just write. Just keep writing. 
keep editing yourself, run it by people. And in theory, it gets better. I don't know if I've gotten better. I hope so. Yeah. Nadia, how about you in terms of the same question? I'll broaden it a bit. You, you just released a book um, and you've been writing for a long time. How have you thought about your sort of like deliberate growth as a writer? And what have you learned about just sort of your your process in terms of when you do the the best writing or, or, or what are what are the environments in which you thrive? I've been listening to Lenny. I'm like, God, I wish I... I'm sure, I'm sure we're like that. I don't know how good answer this. Um, I'm very like, I need to, I, I, I'm just what? A natural. No, I'm just like, uh, I, I'm very like, I don't know, diva-ish about where I'm like, I feel it or I don't feel it. If I don't feel it, I'm in this terrible mood. And like, it just needs to like smash me in the face with some sort of inspiration or something. And if not, I'm going to, yeah. Anyway, so that's, I mean, writing consistently is the most important thing to do. And I think like, it, there was a little bit of that like boulder chasing you feeling that, that Lenny described of um, there's always this anxiety for me of like, if I haven't put something out in a while, then like, you know, people are going to just like forget that I exist. And uh, it's probably good to figure out how to manage that anxiety as a writer, because, you know, people will not forget you. I've learned, but it's also maybe a little bit good because it is just a motivating factor um, with my newsletter. I'm very like, I have to get it out once a month. It's once a month doesn't sound like a lot. And it's not a lot compared to people that are writing weekly or multiple times a week. But I decided it's kind of like what I can personally handle given like the the full time job. And so I just tell myself like, I have to do it every month. And I just uh, like have a reminder in my calendar every week, uh, every month to, to do that. But for like, uh, just for like, other blog posts in, in general, and things like that, in terms of I mean, when I'm like around people and thinking and talking about ideas and just sort of like in the flow of that, I feel like people and books are really where I get most of my inspiration. Um, just sort of I, I write notes obsessively to myself on my phone and some of those notes start turning into blog posts or into newsletters. Almost every newsletter post I think I write has started on my phone um, just in my notes app. And then it'll kind of when I'm ready to, to write, I like sit down for my computer and dump it into a text editor. Um, I can only really write in like, I like just like the black space with, the, with the white letters. Um, it's just like comforting to me. And then once that's ready, then I'll like throw that into uh, like Substack's post editor. But, but yeah, I don't have anything super like pithy or deep, except that like, it does just require an enormous amount of self-discipline to write consistently and writing consistently is what's going to happen. Even the posts that I think like, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've like published something where I'm just like, even including my book where I was just like, this sucks and I hate it. And like, I, I don't know. I'm like, I don't want anyone to look at this. Um, and a lot of times they don't. And you're like, well, I guess, you know, whatever. Um, and then other times, like, you know, it's surprising that things do well. And so like, I try to just like not get too in my head about like, it's just I'm writing it because I'm trying to figure something out. And I'm just putting it out there in the world. Yeah. Love that. In, in, in a newsletter, like there's certainly a weekly newsletter itself. But even monthly one seems like daunting for, for many people. A book just seems like totally you know next level. Can you shed some light a little bit on what the book writing process like? Do you see it sort of as like you just start writing these posts and then they sort of like build up into a book, or or is it something very different? Or like deconstruct th th that process a little bit, or at least what what, it, what it's like for you. The difference between I'm sort of like to, I'm book and to hear this too. It felt different to me from writing posts. I mean, there are books that are compilations of essays and things that people have written. I think I was trying to avoid it as much as possible because I just wanted to write something brand new. I felt like I got to the point where I could write a book where I had like a lot of just like active working knowledge in my brain that it felt like the garbage can was full or something. I needed to like take it out and like I had to like dump it onto something and the book is what I dumped it on. And so it like 
I worked out a lot of the ideas in the book through specific blog posts where they were just like, yeah, thoughts where I, I felt like I wanted to really like drill in on a specific thing. But the feeling of a book for me is more like I have more thoughts and ideas around a specific topic that I'm trying to hold in my head and I'm not capable of holding this all in my head. I have to like put it out into like one document. And that, that was kind of the book. Whereas, yeah, I guess maybe like posts are like a micro version of that. But when I thought about sitting down and writing the book, it wasn't like, oh, let me go through all my posts. It was more like the same process as a post, but like much bigger and having more interlinked thoughts in my head that were like hard to hold and, and remain connected to. I have a um, question very... for you. Do you think it's a good idea for people to write a book versus a Substack newsletter or, or is it great to do both? Ooh, that's a good question. You could do both by writing a book on Substack, which some people do. They're different. I do think, I mean, yeah, I think, I mean, we talk about that Substack too. Like I don't feel like we're starting out with newsletters, but we're fundamentally not like to us, like Substack is a platform for writers to connect with their audiences and they're going to connect through posts, but they can also do it through podcasts right now and hopefully like have other ways of doing so. Like I hope that a lot of our Substack writers go on to write books as well. Um, and they're just different when I think about like, I think a book is useful as having this like document that people can hold in their hands. It has this like permanence that is still unrivaled, I think, by any other uh, content form that as much as people gripe about books, there's just something really nice about that. So I would still recommend that people write a book if they're thinking about a book. It's different than a newsletter, which is a little bit more impermanent, I think. But you can make money doing either. And uh, in both cases, it's something that can like speak to an audience. But uh, yeah, I guess why not both? But very hard to make money with a book, right? Yes. Do not write a book to make money (laughs) because that is a bad idea. (laughs) Yeah. So I think financially it makes so much more sense to try to do a newsletter and then the book has other benefits. I was actually having this this conversation with one of my colleagues because we were talking about um, some of our like top paid writers who financially speaking are doing really, really well on Substack and have their own audiences, but they're like not well known outside of like you know, subs- to us, they're like our Substack celebrities, but it's not like people actually know them. Um, one of our, our top writers is this woman named Heather Cox Richardson, who's a professor of history and just like writes a daily newsletter about uh, about the current uh, political landscape through the lens of, of her history background. Um, she has an enormous audience, but like we're just you know, saying like if she were writing a book, it's like it, it would be she would be treated as they're like, you know, like compared to like other people that like are in the book publishing industry or like authors in that circuit. And it would just be like such a different comparison. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, if you're looking to make a living writing, I think like having a, a paid sub stack is absolutely the way to go. Like I was floored when I started learning um, how much people actually get paid for books because uh, mm-hmm. straight press is very good to its, its writers, but um, the average book deal does not reflect that. Yep. Lenny, talk, talk about what you've learned and another you two about distribution besides, you know, for newsletters, besides writing great content, you know, um, regularly on a consistent cadence. What, what else have you learned about how to grow, grow your audience? So the first thing is that currently most of my growth is just word of mouth, people telling each other about it, which so basically if I just publish posts at this point and don't do anything else, it, it grows, which it just blows my mind and it's a good place to be. Um, but the way I started, I think there's kind of two things that I did. And so two, two uh, recommendations, I guess. One is the guest post idea that I talked about where you, you kind of find the audience that you think is going to become your newsletter audience and then go write something awesome within their uh, newsletter or blog. So for me, it was, uh, I think I mentioned Andrew Chen's blog and then first round. And that, that kind of got me my first 500 to 1,000 subscribers. And then to Twitter, for me at least, is 
has this like amazing flywheel between my newsletter and Twitter. So for example, I sometimes just tweet a random thing and it does really well. And then I write a newsletter about it. And then when I write a newsletter post about something else, I then tweet I, and I tweet kind of the, the goods of the newsletter in the tweet. I, I, I've learned that you just need to give away the best stuff on Twitter and not kind of like entice people to go read the post because no one's going to read it. So I take just like the best parts of the blog post or, or the newsletter post and then tweet them out with a link to the newsletter, sometimes a tweet thread. And that drives a lot of uh, traffic to the newsletter because people are just like, oh, wow, this guy knows some stuff. I'm going to follow him. I'll subscribe and see what he's got. So for me, it's essentially guest post and Twitter. And then the rest just kind of grows from people sharing it with each other. I'm curious about in the beginning of this conversation, I was talking a little bit about like how we kind of see this funnel of like Twitter to Substack or whatever. And you've been growing your Twitter audience as you've also been growing your Substack list. Do you feel like one of those is driving the other more or is it just this loop kind of that you're talking about? Yeah, I think it's this loop because I, I write one thing and then I use it in both places and then they help feed the other. So, so when I started with Medium, before I had like any real Twitter followers, I started tweeting kind of like small nuggets of things that weren't medium posts or just small versions of things that I was thinking about writing about or just wasn't enough of a post. And so that started building a Twitter audience, which was very useful when I launched the Substack later, where I kind of shared, hey, I'm launching the Substack, go subscribe. And then with that, it also led to people with, with their own big audience feeling like they like what I've been doing and, and kind of wanted to share it. And so that helped spread it also. Yeah, it's definitely this flywheel. And I don't know which one's feeding the other, but but I'd say top of funnel for the newsletter is definitely Twitter and word of mouth. How do you think about pricing and, and you know when to when to go paid versus when to not to go paid? And this is for the audience, but but also for myself. You know, <laughs> vulnerably, I, I have you know only twelve hundred you know subscribers. I'm expecting you to say, "Aw, oh, that's Aww. pretty good." And so, yeah, I'm wondering how I should, how one should think about paid versus not paid and, and what are, besides making money, what are the other benefits or, or things people should consider? I can talk about what I did. So, so I, I went to paid when I had about 8,000 subscribers. And I think that was a really good approach because once you go paid, most of your content is behind a paywall. And so you can't really use that to grow other than just like teasing it. And when I went from 8,000 to paid, I got about 500, no, maybe like 250 actually, 250 paid from the 8,000. So it's not like a super high conversion rate initially. So that's one way to think about it. It's just like, I don't know, 5%. What would 5% of your free users convert to? And I think the range is like three to 10. Uh, Nadia will probably correct me, but I think it's around there. And then- Five to 10, yeah. Five to 10, okay. I had like three initially, so I was below average. So how about that? <laughs> you had such a big list too. That, yeah, that might be it. So so that's one thing I learned is it was really ha- helpful to have that first free list. The other is I feel like there you should only go paid is if you want that to be your main source of income. Otherwise, you should use a newsletter to drive something else you're doing. So I think for you, Eric, I think you have enough other stuff going on where the newsletter is just a good source to drive, you know, top of funnel and, and optionality there. So yeah. I think that's the way I think about it. But Nadia Delian does paid. I, I... I think it's a way to find out who your real friends are. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He does. He he did it sort of as an accountability mechanism, um, mm. which and then but then it didn't last 
then he, you know, it was it was not enough of an accountability mechanism that he he's he kind of dropped off for a bit. Now now he's back on paid again. I was just going to echo what Lenny said about uh, we strongly advise writers who are thinking about going paid to grow their free list first because before you go paid, you have like all the luxury in the world to just try to like make that less as big as possible. Once you have um, a paid offering, you are going to be sort of like distracted or having to spend more your resources on paid content, which is not going to serve as an advertisement for uh, for your main audience. And so just take the time to grow your free list as, as long as you can, because your paid list is going to be some subset of that. So that's like one thing. And then just in terms of like pricing, uh, I mentioned this earlier, just about different categories can charge really different prices. And so there's, yeah, some spectrum of like personal to business-ish that I think about. Um, on Substack, we don't allow you to charge less than $5, which sometimes writers will grumble about. And then they charge $5 and they're like, oh, wow, I'm so glad that you had this minimum. Um, that's not always true, but I think it's true enough that um, we're pretty confident in saying you should be charging at least five bucks a month for your work. And, but yeah, if there's, if people are uh, reading, I mean, we could probably go back to um, Lenny's list of kind of like work to be done um, as, as a writer. Like if you are helping them like get better at a skill or uh, there's some sort of like business value for them reading your work, then I think you can charge more than $5 a month. Um, and then if there, then there's sort of like this extreme end where, you know, you're, I don't know, you're offering like stock market analysis or something, or I don't know, something that people can just like put on a corporate card, then you should be charging as much as you think is <laughs> ethical to, to ring out of, um, out of their corporate cards. So yeah, it, it really just depends on what you're writing about and how often you write about it. And then uh, just like, I mean, look at other newsletters in your category to kind of get a sense of what, what your pricing looks like. Yeah. Lenny, have you thought about raising your prices? You know, I think Burn does 20, 20 bucks a month. Or have you thought about like doing three price, you know, that old sort of pricing trick? <laughs> three, well, three, you can do that. I don't know if you can. No, the thing you can do is discount it and give people specific discounts. Pricing is so hard. Uh, I spend so much time trying to figure out how much to price. And I got input from a lot of different people. I think what's tricky is like a Ben Thompson who writes every day, I think, like incredibly rich, deep stuff is 120 a year or 12 bucks a month. So it's a very low oh, price. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, so I think he just sets the bar very low for everybody else. He he should be charging like a hundred bucks. Like yeah, what paper? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But then he hurts us all by charging <laughs> so little. But yeah, I I struggled a lot. Like, should it be twenty bucks a month? Should it be ten bucks a month? Nadia and and Chris from Substack suggested definitely do more than ten bucks because everyone always wants to price lower than they should, just because no one ever values their stuff. So I've experimented with discounting, and I don't know. Like, I don't even know what the right price is. There's not enough data to even tell me what the perfect price is. I just kind of go with what feels right and seems to be working well enough. I think with Burn, he's daily. And so I can't charge 20 bucks because I'm not daily. And I don't know how he does daily. I don't get daily newsletters. It just boggles my mind. Blows my mind. (laughs) I can't, every time I feel bad about not like, you know, the monthly reminder rolls around, like even writing monthly is hard. How do people do daily? I, I feel the same way. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Burn is Tyler Cowen meets Ben Thompson for me. So if, yeah, if anyone here hasn't read Burn Hobart's stuff, his newsletter is The Diff. Definitely uh, check it out. Here's here's a fun fact. He, he and I are battling for the uh, in the rankings. for uh, We're like around the 17th slash 18th slot in the rankings. Oh, nice. Competition. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Lenny, what misconceptions do you think people have around starting or running a newsletter that, um, or what, what do they not fully appreciate that you think would be would be helpful for, for people to know? I think one is a lot of people just kind of overthink it. 
and don't try it. They kind of overthink what they should be writing about. If, if they can keep writing, people are going to like it. So the thing that helped me is I'm, I'm good at just like doing stuff, even though I don't know if it's going to work out. And so one is just like, just do it and tell people it's an experiment and just start writing and see what's interesting to you. The thing I, I tried to do is stay close to the things that give me energy and that make me happier and do less of the things that suck my energy up. And one that drew me to writing versus starting a company, I kind of just got like turned away from that, seeing how hard it is again to start companies. Uh, and then two, it led me to the stuff I'm writing about because it's just like interesting and I want to learn about it. So I guess that's two is just figure out what's interesting to you. Because if it's interesting to you, it's probably going to be interesting to other people. And then your content is going to be more interesting and, and better. I'd say the other is like the self-employed newsletter life. There's a lot of things you miss from a day job, like uh, health insurance and 401k. And like, I'm trying to get a, like, I'm thinking about getting a mortgage, like moving. And it turns out you can't really get a mortgage with being self-employed. It's much harder. You have to have like many years of tax returns. <laughs> So there's all these kind of practical things in it. And that's what's cool is what Substack's basically working on. And I don't know how much Nadia can share, but all the cool stuff going on. But I think Substack's job is to kind of fill those gaps for writers so they can do this long-term. I think the only way I was able, even able to get to where I am today is I had savings to spend basically like six months just building confidence in that I could do this and building an audience and building kind of a rhythm where then I start actually making money and supporting myself. So I think that's a very fortunate place to be in. I'm very thankful I had that chance. And a lot of people don't have that. And so I think with this like fellowship you're working on and stuff Substack's doing with fellowships, I think is going to help a lot more people take that leap. But yeah, that part's hard for a lot of people. Yeah. And, and what advice, uh, obviously you both be part of it and be helping out, but what advice would you give for the fellowship in terms of how to make it most helpful for, for, for writers? We're, we're trying to help people with with editing, both peer and, and one-to-one, with, with accountability, with thinking of like people opt into accountability leaderboards so they can sort of publicly declare to the group yes. and see if they've, they've gone through with it. And then distribution in terms of just, you know, how to how to market it or sort of, you know, mutual promotion opportunities. How do you think, like, what would be most helpful for people either just getting them started or, or getting them growing, you think? My, my take is the number one thing to get right is high quality content. Because high quality content is, is valuable in, to people. And the way you get there is just keep a very high bar for the stuff people are writing. Even though I said don't overthink it and don't, you know, don't, don't, uh, oh, yeah, overthink it. Uh, the stuff that works is the stuff that is really good and, and kind of gets above the noise. So I would push people to, to push each other to just keep making it better and not settle for just like high level, fluffy, like pontificating kind of content. You get to like, real concrete stuff that's like interesting and new and different and easy to consume and fun to read. So just very frank, direct feedback and just like, no, this isn't good enough. Keep going. Yeah. It's good enough for Twitter, but not for, not for subset. <laughs> it is a, there is something, well, gosh, I don't know if we're going to get into this debate now, but I do feel like, I do feel like with Twitter, like, you know, there's this, you know, everyone ends up a fortune cookie on Twitter eventually or a comedian or whatever. Um, and there's this like bending towards the average or something. Cause you know, it's what gets shared around. Whereas my experience of, and yeah, just my experience so far, uh, writing a newsletter has been like the opposite where like the, like, I just like, I feel okay getting as weird as possible because they realize like weirding, weird, being weird is like more memorable. And like, if you're going to compete for someone's inbox, you better be like something that is like worth opening an email worth opening uh, whereas most other emails people get are like kind of meh 
Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess like there, I, I hope, I hope there never really is this like Substack style that emerges, although who knows? And maybe I'll be okay if it does happen. But like, I felt like with medium, like at some point there was like a style of medium post because like everyone's trying to just like compete for claps or validation or whatever sharing. Like I, I feel less of that anxiety with the, my subscriber newsletter audience. Cause I feel like I can just like, they're there. They're still, you know, it's, it's my audience and I can just like be more, you're, you're incentivized exactly in the opposite direction. And you can also tell when they don't like stuff because they unsubscribe, which <laughs> which is like painful when it happens. But but then you realize people don't really unsubscribe like substantially, like in mass when you say something that's not perfect or you, you kind of take a leap. You know, there's always a few, but it's rarely like everyone's gone. Sh- shit. Yeah, about that. Totally. Whereas on Twitter, you just get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, you were talking about Medium. Now, Medium's a fine company, but what did sort of Substack figure out that Medium hasn't necessarily figured out or has just gone in a different direction? Is it is it email or like what is sort of how do you describe it? I didn't realize this until I worked at Substack, but email uh, Medium has had some sort of like email newsletter ish feature for I think a while. And then they like sort of relaunched that a couple months back to make it a little bit more prominent. And so it's existed, but I guess it was pretty buried because I, I read on Medium and I, I had never noticed it or thought about it. I do think it's partly about the email thing of like it's the the next evolution for blogs in general, where it's like it's not enough to just post on the web. It's like really helpful to like be in someone's inbox or in some like dedicated place where you know they're going to look at it. But I would say like probably the the biggest thing, and this is related to the email thing, is just like the concept of owning your audience, even like medium now with the their newsletter feature it sounds like you still can't take your audience with you anywhere you go it's you don't have access to their to the list of of emails that are subscribed to you which like yeah i think that's just sort of a deal breaker for a lot of writers where like to me the most powerful thing that i personally experienced about newsletters and the reason i kind of got turned on to this whole medium in the first place was just this feeling of like oh i can do different things and i can talk to these people and i can kind of play around with this form and like they're still sitting in their seats watching me and like, that's cool. Like I just feel really emboldened by that. Um, and my experience on medium, which I left, I think a year or two ago um, was, I, re- I remember like looking at my profile at one point on medium and it was like, Nadia has 6,000 followers or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were mostly important, I think from like Twitter at the time or something like that. And I remember just looking at being like, I'm supposed, this is supposed to be meaningful that I have these followers, but I don't feel like I know who any of these people are. Like, I have no idea why this arbitrary number appears on my medium profile. So that just sort of made me feel like, I don't know. I just, I felt less motivated to want to continue writing on there versus writing on my own blog or writing somewhere where I can own my own own list. So yeah, I, I would probably point to that as something that I think subs, I guess, figured out. And not to mention also the, the ability to just like the way we think about uh, writer payments is really different from the way medium does. Um, and that, writers set their own prices. They decide when they want to go pay. They decide which posts they want to make paid or not paid. Uh, it's very different from having this sort of like site wide paywall that like the platform is controlling versus like all of that is something you're, you're starting your own business on Substack. You can make all those choices yourself. Yeah. Uh, so the reasons I switched are, are basically all those same reasons. Just like uh, your post going to people's inbox as soon as you post them versus like some weird push they get someday or, or they stumble upon it uh, to owning your audience, like you're building an email list that you could take anywhere. And then with Substack, you also own your Stripe account. And so you could, you basically are like, like Nadia said, you're building your own business with Substack kind of managing it for you. And then you can go anywhere else if you want in the future. And then, yeah, just financially. So with Medium, I make like, I still make like 30 bucks a month 
for my old posts, which is pretty funny. But but I think their pitch was they they send you demand, they send you readers from their platform, but in reality it's very little, and you basically have to still go find your own audience and build your own following other places, and so it's not really delivered. And then eventually you're just like building mediums, user base, and audience, and traffic, and SEO versus your own, and so Substack is just winning on every in every direction. I, I think Ben Ben Evans said that uh, Substack is disrupting medium so fast it hurts i'm surprised medium just didn't copy i mean yes i think i think nadia pointed out they launched this newsletter feature but i think the thing they missed is you don't own your audience so you're still building their audience with all your content my speculation is there's something about their policy in the past that is difficult Mm -hmm. to overcome because i'm sure they see the value of it but there's something for some reason they're unable to allow people to do it if Twitter let us own our audience, like we'd pay like thousands of dollars. I mean, just, that'd just be so valuable to be able to reach out to all those people. Awesome. So yeah, that's a, that's a perfect place to, to wrap. Uh, Lenny, Nadia, thank you both for, for, for coming on the podcast. Any, uh, any last plugs, Lenny, where can people, uh, find your, find your newsletter? Lenny's newsletter.com. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and, and Nadia, uh, your, your, your book and, uh, and, and your newsletter. Uh, book is called Working in Public, which you can get on Amazon. And my newsletter is same as my Twitter handle, Nayafia, N-A-Y-A-F-I-A dot substack dot com. Definitely Perfect. subscribe. Yes. And and also join the On Deck Writer Fellowship for, for people who want to build a regular practice and hear talks from people like Lenny and Nadia. Uh, guys, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been great. Thanks, Eric. Thanks. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out at villageglobal.vc.